0: You're listening to a sermon from New City Fellowship in Manassas, Virginia. New City Fellowship is a diverse community that proclaims the gospel and makes disciples for the glory of God and the renewal of our city. For more information, visit newcityfellowship.net. So let's look at this passage of scripture, 1 Peter 2, just 5 verses, 1 through 5, and, and we're not even going like, to touch the tip of the iceberg on this text. There's so much great stuff in this text, but I just want to talk about a few things from it. So um, our time in God's word today is going to be limited, like I said, but because <clears throat> um, we have a, a, a town hall afterwards, but because of this, I want to get right uh, right to it. So let me pray to begin. Our Lord Jesus we want you to know as, um, as you look down and listen in on what goes on here today, that our hearts are open uh, to what it is that you have to say to us. We're not only listening to you, our Father, as individual children, but we're also listening to you as a family. We've gotten up this morning and we've gotten together to hear from you because we We are eager to hear what you have to say to us. We consider these words that we're going to read today and all of your word to be more than just general teachings from an ancient book that are kind of helpful for our spiritual lives. But we consider this as specific instructions for New City Fellowship for this moment in history addressed and delivered specifically to us by your sovereign purposes from ages past, it's, it's breathtaking to think about the precision, precision with which you crafted your word before the foundations of the world, just for us in this moment. So we are listening, God. We are listening. Speak, O Lord, your servants. We are listening. Amen. Okay, First uh, Peter chapter two, verses one through five. So he says, put away all malice and all deceit and all hypocrisy and envy and all slander like newborn infants long for pure spiritual milk that by it they may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good as you come to him as living stones rejected by men Uh, As a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So the passage, the couple verses, is pretty simple. um, And there are really two things that we can learn about ourselves from the passage. And I think two things we can learn about Jesus Christ from the passage And hopefully we'll walk away with one kind of unified message from those four things, two things about ourselves and two things about Christ. So first off, the passage says so right in the beginning. Some of your translations might say a different word like therefore. And so I don't know about you guys. You probably heard this before. When I was growing up, uh, I used to hear preachers say, every time you see a therefore, you got to ask, what's the therefore therefore? Uh, Because the therefore indicates that it's connecting something from the past into something that's happening right now. And certainly, that's the case here. So he says, "So" or "therefore," um, it, it's an indication that something prior is connected, and um, what we're reading is a continuation of what was previously said. So, with that said, um, <clears throat> "Love one another earnestly from a pure heart" was just said in the previous previous chapter. So he sort of wrapped up chapter one with this summary statement: "Love one another earnestly." from a pure heart and so again keep in mind he's talking to the body of christ he's talking to believers in a particular church and he says love one another don't just do it but do it earnestly like uh, with earnestness and love one another earnestly and do it from a pure heart so uh, um, this is our heavenly father talking uh, to his children and telling them to love one another and, and the passage really what it does for us is it tells people, us, the children in the scenario, how we can love one another. So in chapter two, in chapter one, we get love one another. In chapter two, we get, this is a bit of how we can love one another. Okay. So, and this is really applicable for us at this, at this time, at this juncture in the church, because unity is, is critical to this church being successful in the future. Do you guys believe that? I mean, are are you, are you with me on that? Uh, If, if you, if, if this church fractures in terms of the membership, arguing with one another about the details of how we're gonna do ministry and in what ways. Uh, if, if we can't become one together, the likelihood of the church like taking root in this community and lasting for generations, like I was talking about a few minutes ago, is almost none. Your unity is absolutely critical. There's like 150 times in the New Testament where, where God commands the church, the New Testament church, to be unified with one another. And, and so we don't usually think about unity as like a doctrine, but it is a doctrine. Like God wants us to be unified. He actually commands us to be unified. What does that mean? That means that sometimes our positions, our preferences are going to have to take a backseat to the bigger idea that we all remain together as one so that we can move forward in kingdom purposes. So he says these two ways that we can do that, these two ways that we can be unified, that we can love one another earnestly out of pure hearts. And I think what he means out of the pure hearts is I think he means with a sense of humility, preferring others above ourselves. That's the Philippians 2 kind of way, the Jesus way that was modeled for us. He says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being found in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but instead, considered himself of no reputation and took on the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death on a cross. So that's what Jesus did for us. And we're supposed to display that same kind of humility by the way we relate to one another by submitting our preferences and considering others more significant than ourselves. This is the Jesus way. If you're going to act like a mature Christian, you're going to love one another earnestly, and that will mean disregarding your own preferences many times, for the regard of the unity of the body of Christ. So he tells us two particular ways to do it in the passage. Look what he he says. He says, love one another from pure heart in chapter 1. Then he says, first, by being kind to one another. He says, look at verse 1, put away all malice, all deceit, all hypocrisy, all envy, all slander. So he says, like, all the stuff that's evil and self-centered, put that aside and be nice to each other. Be kind to one another. I don't need to oversimplify and I don't know if you've been in church a whole lot, but there people are not always kind in church. Like in the body of Christ, we're not always kind. We are so interested in our, our preferences or our ideas about the way things should go that sometimes we push those out in front and we make them a priority, and it creates a fracture or disunity or a sense of disagreement inside the body. And that is really dangerous for a church. So be kind to one another. Put away all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and slander. Malice is an intention for evil, and you may not even realize that you have it at times, but we sometimes intend evil for others. We want to overcome them, when we want to be right, but that dis- disrupts the unity of the church. Here's what he's, com- he's commanding, that we rid ourselves of any hint of intending to harm one another or overcome one another. We do this by refusing to be deceitful, hypocritical, refusing to be jealous, or to talk about each other behind one another's backs. Like the way we, the way we earnestly love one another is commanded in chapter one, is we be nice to each other, we be kind to one another, by putting away all of those evil things. You may not feel like you have a problem like this uh, about this, but let me remind you. Uh, that every in every uh, individual the scripture teaches us that we are all deceitful our hearts are all deceitful and all desperately wicked we are all self-centered at the core Um, we 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 all have this uh, natural propensity because of our sinful nature to act self-centeredly so uh, as a church let me remind you that we are all in a sense evil people we do have malice in our hearts that's that's a doctrine from the bible that exists in us rather we like acknowledge it or not. We think we're pretty good people. According to God, we do have malice in our hearts already. So we have to actively say, we're going to suppress that. We're going to act in kindness and obedience to God and his word. So, um, and, and I'd also just remind you, practically speaking, that people who, um, are evil don't think they're evil. They don't realize they're evil. You know, there, nobody, uh, who does evil things or says evil things, you know, uh, Not nobody, maybe, but most of them do not consider themselves to be evil. They justify their actions. So, for that reason, the first thing that we should do is is act kind to one another. second thing that the passage says, look at verse 2, by being committed to our own Christian maturity. Two things will help unify the church. One of them is gentleness, kindness, grace with one another. The second thing is commitment to our own spiritual maturity, or, in other words, turning the mirror back on ourselves And saying, other people aren't the problem, but my immaturity is the problem, and I need to focus on my own growth. Long for pure spiritual milk, he says in verse 2, that you may grow up into salvation. Like the, the salvation that Christ has offered to us is the thing that we are growing up into, according to this passage. In other words, what God is saying to you today is that the best thing you can do for this church is to become a mature Christian. A mature Christian that considers others more significant than themselves, and a mature Christian who is going to uh, uh, ever be growing in their in their understanding of how to live out the Christian life—not just their knowledge of what the Bible says—and the the least helpful thing you can do for this church at this juncture is to persist in immature attitudes or actions. So you should have a whole lot of self-examination going on right now. This is how we love one another. We're kind to each other. We're committed to our own maturity. That's how we love one another. And he says in verse three, look, he says, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. So he's saying the motivation for all of this kindness to one another, for all of this uh, all of this uh, putting away of evil, the motivation is that we have tasted of God and we have seen how good he is. That should motivate us to grow spiritually and to suppress the evil that comes uh, often from our hearts. But when it comes to Jesus, so I told you there's two things here. It's two things, two ways that we, th- things we learn about ourselves and then two things we learn about Jesus. When it comes to Jesus, what does the passage tell us about him? Well, Here's what it says. Look in verse four. As you come to him, A living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So the thing we learn about Jesus, he's called in this passage the living stone. The thing we get about him is that he is is rejected by men and chosen by God. He's rejected by men and chosen by God. Isn't it ironic? Doesn't that feel ironic to you? That one of the first characteristics of the most significant person's person who has ever lived is that he lacked characteristic. <laughs> Nothing made him special in the eyes of man. He was as common, so to speak, according to the passage, if you go if read further on, he was as common as like a stone on the ground. Uh, con- convincing a well-educated, overconfident bunch of religious folks that Jesus was the Messiah was about as likely as like convincing the Democratic Party that I should be the next candidate uh, for for the presidency. I mean, it's just not a very likely thing. They expected something that Jesus was not, though prophecy of old told them that he would come in this manner. So um, Jesus was common. He'd go on to fulfill the prophecy of the Old Testament that would say they would esteem him not, or they would give him no stature. And, and that he'd be the cornerstone for all human history, yet he would be tossed aside by the religious elite of the day as, as, as those same men searched out and waited for and prophesied about the Messiah. So the irony in that is really thick. This is What, what, we, what we learn about Jesus is that he was rejected. He was rejected. On every level, this was true of Jesus. Jesus, by earthly standards, was a nobody. He was a real reject. Uh, he never um, won a battle. He never had a kingdom that he oversaw or ruled in this, in this life. Um, uh, he never was wealthy. He never had a family. He never owned a house even. And that's exactly what God told us he would be, despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief, one from whom men would hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. That's a prophecy from Isaiah 53. For the Lord sees not as man sees, though. We learn in the Old Testament in Samuel, the Lord doesn't look on us as man does. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Even at the end of his life, a crowd of his own countrymen preferred to see Jesus humiliated and crucified over a murderer named Barabbas. Jesus was rejected, Jesus was hated, Jesus was despised, and that's that's part of what gives us confidence that he is the cornerstone. That's what this passage is teaching us. And so it's interesting to me, like if you think of the line of reasoning of the author, he says, Love one another earnestly. Then he says you can love one another earnestly by continuing in your maturity um, all the time and by, you know, suppressing the evil that exists in your hearts. And then he starts telling us about this rejected Jesus. Uh, and, and he's, even though he is rejected, we learn later in the passage, in the next verse, like verses 4, it also continues on in verse 6 and on in the chapter, he, he's not just rejected by men, but he's chosen by God. Jesus is chosen by God. He's chosen, he's precious to God. That's right, he's hated by men, but he's precious and chosen by God. Jesus is the chosen one of God. And, and what does it matter if the whole world rejects you if God chooses you? I think that is some of the motivation for which we live in this present world. We are constantly you know, told by our society about how we should live and what makes a person valid. But we have this incredible example in front of us of someone who looks for the affirmation, the approval of God, and not the approval of men as they, as they act and live and pursue. What does it matter if the whole wor- world rejects you if God chooses you? This is the logic of the Christian life. This is how we get through the day. When the wisdom of this world is pressing in on every side to the wisdom of God, where this pr- makes itself practical in a teaching like we have today, is inside of a local church. When it comes down, uh, when it comes down to um, things that I-, I want, preferences I have, and what would be good for the body as a whole, that we that we would take the same humble path that our Savior took. This is how we get through the day. The wisdom of this world is pressing in on every side of the wisdom of God. If God is for us, who can be against us, Romans teaches us. So in the last verse there in verse 5, you yourselves are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. What this indicates to me, I don't, I don't want to be overly simplistic, but what this indicates to me is the sum of the parts is, is greater than us as individuals. Like what God is doing here is he's building a house. What God's doing here, I mean a new city, Right here in Manassas, what he's doing is he's building a house. He's building a house, a spiritual house, to be holy, a holy priesthood. So I know when we think about like the church and church planting, we're tempted to think uh, this is Will's church, Will started this church, or this is um, or this is uh, you know, uh, Ryan's church, or the leaders, or whoever was a part of it, or or this is you know, we have all these ideas about who the churches is, but the scripture is so crystal clear about this. We are a people for God. You yourselves are like living stones being built up into a spiritual house. So you and me and all of us together are being built up into this spiritual house. That's true locally, but it's true for the church at large too around the world. We're being built as a spiritual house for God to give a testimony for God. Here's, Here's what you have to see. What's what God's doing here is he's building a house for himself and we are the stones. We're a holy priesthood. We've been set aside as servants for God. That word holy, you know, it means set apart, distinct, different, you know, so we are a holy priesthood. We're a set apart ministers of the gospel. This is, this is really powerful. This is how we should see ourselves. We are set apart, distinct ministers of the gospel and we are together something powerful for God we are a house for God here in our local community and all over the world so here's the summary I know it's kind of the passage has a lot of ideas in it and we didn't even touch on all of them but here's a summary God's making you you new city fellowship into a house for himself no one person can make up that house no one person's responsible for that house it's, it's not Will, not Brian, not Joe, not Chewy, not Clint. It's, it's nobody. This is the church of Jesus Christ. It's being built in Manassas as a spiritual house for God. And, and the way we serve the church is by being kind to one another and being committed to our own individual maturity as we play our role in the building of the body of Christ. So what I, what I hope, you know, when I, when I look at this passage, what I, what I take from this is the, the importance of our unity together in Jesus Christ for the success of the church long-term and our willingness to consider ourselves as a part of a thing that will be very se- spiritually significant in the life of this community long-term. Let me pray that God would take these words and use them in whatever way he sees fit in our own hearts. God, this is your word. Um <clears throat> Try the best of my ability to, to say what it says, what you're saying. Um, but we trust that um, we don't trust that. We know that, according to your word, your spirit is alive inside of your children, and it's taking these words and applying them directly to our hearts and our minds, and helping us to understand you, to know you, to love you. And God, so I pray that you would you would use these words to help spur us to to play whatever role we should play to establish and build this church for your purposes here in Manassas. We love you, Lord Jesus. We trust in you. We ask for your help and your guidance in Christ's name.